Welcome to the Go Find Out Podcast. I'm Jennifer Jelliff Russell, author, speaker, and entrepreneur, bringing you actionable ideas and interviews with awesome women to help you pursue your dreams and achieve your goals. You can find more episodes of the Go Find Out Podcast by visiting gofindoutpodcast.com. Enjoy the show and go find out. Welcome back to the Go Find Out Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Jelliff Russell, and this is episode number 49. On today's show, I interview former Playboy cover model Deborah Driggs about her journey from modeling and acting to building a successful career in the insurance industry. But before we dig into that, let's jump into my personal update. All right, so on the farm front, it's almost time to get most of my seedlings into the ground. I actually just planted some broccoli, cauliflower, that kind of thing. Um, right now, I am just playing the fun game of moving all my seed trays, which there are about 16 of them, outside for part of the day, then hauling them back inside overnight as I harden off the veggie seedlings and prepare them to be outside full time. It's mostly, it's a lot of different tomatoes that I have. So, so close yet so far. Last year, we made the mistake of planting tomatoes a little too early and we got hit by a hard frost at the beginning of June. So even covered, we ended up losing about a month's worth of growing time on our tomatoes because of all the frost damage. You kind of live and learn when it comes to main farming. On the writing front, I am going back and working some fun details into my steamy romance novel before sending it back to my editor for a final proofread. Um, she had kind of gone through it, and it's kind of exciting. My editor said that she got so caught up in the story that she would have actually had to read through the book again in case she missed anything, especially during the um, steamier scenes, if you will. So I cannot wait to get that one done and ready and published and then start working on the next book in that series. Um, so it's going to be a trilogy. So, you know. I have an idea of exactly how it's going to go. I have them all mentally mapped out and I just need to outline them and then spend a month or so writing the second and third book. And the story itself, it's not its not exactly like Fifty Shades of Grey since there's no like BDSM, at least not in the first book. Um, but there is a billionaire male protagonist and maybe love interest. So I will definitely give a real description of the book once I get that description done. All right, enough about my spicy book. Let's jump into the interview with former Playboy model Deborah Driggs. On today's show, I'll be speaking with former Playboy cover model Deborah Driggs about her journey from modeling and acting to building a successful career in the insurance industry. Welcome to the show, Deborah. Hi, hi. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here on this beautiful Monday morning. I love it. Yeah, and now you are coming to us all the way from California, right? Yeah, and I was woken up at 4.15 this morning with a 3.3 earthquake, and then at 4.45 with a 4.0, right, down the road. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was... So it was two of them. Yeah, oh, my two gosh. Two back to back, and yeah, so we had a little fun here at 4.45 this morning. My my oldest daughter lives with me, and I said, did you feel it? She goes, oh, Yeah. We got, we, we're rocking, <laughs> we're rocking this morning. Oh man, that's crazy. And yeah, it always, it always like, it's that time that it happens. Yeah, I know I was in the 1994, the big one, mm. and it was the same thing. It was like 4.30 in the morning, boom. And so, you know, when you get woken up like that, it- <laughs> Definitely startling. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> it's going to be a lovely Monday. All right. Yeah. No, that's crazy. That's the, I like. that's the way I like to start my day, you know. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> well, so one of the things that we're going to be chatting about today is probably one of the reasons you initially lived in California, right, is having been in the modeling industry. So can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, when you first got into the modeling and acting industry? Sure. Yeah, I'm a Southern California girl. I'm born and raised. I grew up in the uh, South Bay area in oh, Torrance, nice. Redondo Beach, that whole area. And so I was right down the road from Hollywood. And, you know, when I was born, I think my first addiction was attention. You know, I, I <laughs> it, it definitely was in my blood to, to do theater and be on stage. And I was in every school play and, and whatnot. And so when I decided that I was going to model and, and do acting and all of that, you know, there was a lot of pushback from the people in my life because I'm five, six and, you know, they would kindly say to me, you know, yeah, Deborah, it's really hard to break in. And usually those girls are 5'10", 5 5'11", 5 and they're really thin and they're fashion models. And I said, nope, this is what I'm going to do. And I signed with a commercial agent first, Pacific Artists. And then I signed with an agency, uh, Mary Webb Davis. And my agent, Vivian, really believed in me. You know, I was very passionate. You know, I, I was a great salesperson. Mm. And, you know, I was selling myself. And I said, I know I can do this. And so she sent me out on my first call. I had already lived in Japan, and so I was really familiar with their culture. Oh, nice. And that's, that's actually where I started to model. I went there to dance, and they asked me if I would do this commercial. And that's where I got the bug. I was like, oh, I could do, I could do this. I like doing this. And so the first thing she sent me out on was for a Japanese commercial for a non-dairy creamer called Creep Non-Dairy Creamer for Japan. And it was the first thing I went out on and I booked it on the spot. They booked me and and she couldn't believe it. She's like, nobody books their first audition. You know? Like I do. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so that just gave me so much confidence. And from there, it just, it just worked. You know, I, I had a lot of great success. I had a few because I was a Southern California girl. A lot of the local beach companies hired me to do their catalogs. Oh, nice. I did a little bit of, yeah, I did a little bit of showroom where I would try things on for buyers. Basically they hire models for the day and you go to, to the showroom and you are the model for the buyers. Oh. So the buyers come in and you're trying on all the upcoming seasons, you know, clothes or bathing suits or whatever it is. And so I did a lot of that and they really liked me because I was on time and I knew how to behave in the showroom. And mm. so, so I got a lot of that work. Um, I did, you know, I was the ocean Pacific girl for a couple of catalogs in a row. And, and so, you know, moving along, moving along and doing pretty well and booking commercials and, and along came Playboy. And my agent called me out of the blue one day and she said, Playboy is coming out with a new book called The Lingerie Book. And we submitted you for the cover. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they, and they want, yeah, and they want to meet with you. And I had just done, I think I had just shot the cover for, I had just shot a cover for Muscle and Fitness. And so they, they were really interested in me for the cover. So I went to the famous Playboy building on Sunset and when I walked in, they handed me a robe and told me to go change and that they were going to do a Polaroid. And I said, no, 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 I'm not here for that. You're I'm like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not taking off my clothes. You know, wait a second. Wait a second. Everybody just hold the phone. Yeah. So I said, okay, well, I'm used to auditioning for swimsuits. So I left my undergarments on, came mm -hmm. out to do the Polaroid. And this was 1989. 
And the photographer said, no, we need to see your whole body. And I said, I think there's a mistake because I'm here for the cover of the lingerie book. He said, well, everything we do involves nudity. Now, back then, they were looking for birthmarks, scars, piercings, tattoos. They don't do that today. Today, they don't care. Mm. But back then, that was kind of a big deal. You know, oh. they, they, you know, they were looking for that. And so they wanted to make sure you didn't have, you know, a birthmarker or, or they wanted to know so they knew that they had to cover something or whatever. Mm, it's so interesting because today it's that's welcomed. So uh, I said, okay, well, I so I didn't take off my stuff. We did the Polaroid. I left and I thought to myself, well, they think I'm difficult, right? Oh, no, yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm already now the difficult girl at Playboy. So I left and about two hours later, I got a call on my answering machine at home from the chief editor of Playboy. And she, she said, we're very interested in shooting you for a centerfold. Oh. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. So I called my agent. She's like, yeah, it's true. And I said, me? Yeah, no, it was crazy. Cause I was the girl next door. You know, I was the funny, I was like a comedic model. I was not a sexy, you know, I did a little bit of sexy modeling for swimsuits, but mainly I was doing catalogs and commercial modeling. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I couldn't believe it. I thought, there's no way I can pose for Playboy, you know. <laughs> and so I started calling everybody. And in 1989, Playboy was the number one magazine in the world. And so every, I didn't get one no. Everybody said, oh, my God, you have to do that. That's amazing. Wow. You know. And so everybody was very supportive. And I went and did a test shoot. And they said, yep, we're moving forward. And next thing I knew, I was going to be the, I was shooting a layout for March of 1990. And I shot for probably, God, six to seven weeks in, I want to say it was July, August, September, somewhere in there of 89. And Playboy's issues came out a month in advance. So my issue came out in February of 1990. And and we didn't know this at the time, but now it's a collector's item because Donald Trump is on the cover of my issue. Oh, I see. And so it sounds like, you know, you were really kind of like, I don't know if that was like the height of your modeling career or what you consider the the height of the model, your modeling career. Or? Well, you know, it just, it definitely opened doors. It definitely was, it. I didn't have any negative pushback from doing it. There wasn't anybody that said, oh my God. You know, it was, there was no reaction like that. And if anything, everybody wanted to meet me because I had already been doing commercials and I had already been doing modeling and, and some infomercial work, you know, I had some experience. So they, I was first in line as far as playmates were concerned at that time. I I was kind of right in the top three, four girls that that had done centerfolds that they were calling in for auditions. Oh, nice. For movies, for TV. And as a matter of fact, my issue came out in February, 1990. And the Oprah show had me come on for the Valentine's Day special. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that was really cool. So because they felt confident, you know, I just, the doors opened for me and the Playboy channel started a cable show called Hot Rocks. Hmm. And I was their first VJ. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it was like just things like that. It just, you know, I just kept falling into really cool gigs. And then I enrolled myself in a two-year Meisner acting class Mm -hmm. and thought, you know, I need to really get serious about acting 
because now auditions were becoming available to me. And I realized I really needed to get some acting under my belt Mm. and really, and really, you know, not just be okay, but be good at least, you know, I had no acting, no acting class experience, just a little bit here and there, but mainly for commercials. Mm -hmm. And so I enrolled in a two year Meisner and then I booked a film and had a small role in a film with Michael Murray. And you know, I mean, yeah, things things started opening up and the more acting experience I got, the more, you know, I was being invited to audition for pilot season and those things. And I got invited to do the Bob Hope special. That was probably the highlight of my of my career in the early 90s was was working with Bob Hope. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's yeah, really cool. Because, you know, who can, you know, not very many people can say. Right. <laughs> they got to they got to be in a read through with with Bob Hope and I got to do I think four skits with him and he was amazing. That's awesome. I mean, oh my God. It was like, that was the highlight for me was meeting him. Cause as a kid, you know, he was like, you know, he was every, he was huge. Mm-hmm. So to then, you know, have my life come full circle and I'm doing a Bob Hope special. It was like, oh my God. Wow. That's really cool. And so yeah. what, what actually had you shift your focus away from, you know, modeling and acting? Getting married. I got oh, okay. married in 1992. Mm-hmm. Um, we met in acting class and he was an Olympic athlete that had done a movie and the movie didn't do so well. So we ended up in the same acting program and we started dating during the second year. Nice. And, and yeah, and it was just, you know, it's that being in proximity. And, and so we started dating, we fell in love and we got married in June of 1992 here in LA and we started a family right away. And so around 1998, I think was the last TV show that I did. I did a show uh, called Nightstand, mm. a, com- a comedic show. And, and that was like the last job. And I remember doing that job and it was a lot of work because between the kids and trying to memorize my lines and showing up on set and I was really, you know, I was tired and it was, it takes, you know, it takes so much energy to really do a great job with acting. And so I was tired from the kids. I had three children back to back. Oh, wow. And yeah. And so I think around 1999, I just pulled back from auditioning. And then in 2003, we decided to move to Park City, Utah to raise our kids in a small town environment. We had friends that lived there and moved there from Los Angeles. Nice. Mm -hmm. And then we had friends that had a second home there. And so we just thought, why don't we just live there full time? And so I got a job in Park City doing the morning show for Park City TV. Oh, cool. Yeah, I did a two hour unscripted morning show just for the locals in Park City. And I have to tell you, that was my favorite job. Really? Okay. Yeah, because I got up 4.30 in the morning. I'd go in and we would tape, gosh, from 5.30 to 7.30, we would tape the show. And then it would rerun all morning on Park City TV, but we taped it live. And I learned so much doing that show. And I really found that that's what I like doing. I, I really did. I, I enjoyed interviewing people. I enjoyed doing the field reporting. We, you know, we'd host the local 4th of July parade. We'd go out and do things around Park City and Salt Lake that, you know, so if you were coming to Park City to visit, 
you'd turn on Park City TV and you'd know where to go to eat, you know, where where to what to do while you were there. That's really cool. Yeah, so it was. That was I have to say, and it's funny because people go, "Really? That was that was one of my favorite jobs. I loved it." And I signed with an agent in Salt Lake, booked a lot of commercials and infomercials with them, and a lot of movies were starting to come and film, you know, in Salt Lake City. There were a couple of shows, I think Everwood, and there were a couple of shows that, you know, and so I'd get, you know, I'd audition for things once in a while that were shooting in Salt Lake. And so had a little success with that. So I've kind of, you know, I've always continued to do things throughout my career. And it wasn't until I got divorced that I really had to work and have a paycheck come in. And so I went and got my real estate license. And that was my first introduction into the business world, so to speak. And I worked for the number one realtor in Park City. He had 22 listings. And what I did was, is I interviewed with the three top realtors to be their assistant, because I knew that I didn't want to start my own business with three kids. Mm -hmm. And so I met with all of them. and, And when I met with Rich, who I ended up working with, We just bonded. I just knew that we were going to do really well together. And I told him, I said, look, I have no office experience. I've never worked in an office. I don't know how to scan, you know? (laughs) I don't even know how to work a computer, really, to be honest. I kind of knew how to send emails. You know, things were just getting started on the internet. And so I don't even think... Facebook was a thing yet. Mm-hmm. And so he said, well, are you good with people? And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am really good with people. And he knew that I was doing the morning show. And he said, you know, I think we, he goes, I'll teach you everything you need to learn about working in an office and I'm going to have you manage my clients. And so we spent the weekend. He showed me everything, how to do marketing updates. He showed me everything from how to scan, how to fax, how to do marketing updates, you know, how to do a group blind copy email. I mean, that's the stuff, you know, that people listening go, really? You didn't know how to do that? No, I didn't. I did not know how to do any of that. And so he basically, we spent the weekend, I organized the entire office that we worked out of. I made a whiteboard of all of our listings and I called every single one of his clients every Monday morning and they got to know me and I had such a great rapport with all of them that they would call me at odd times. They had my cell. You need to come over right away. And so I I became like the therapist for these, you know, like, why isn't my house selling, you know, and they'd be mm-hmm. demanding and, and, that, and Rich loved it because I would handle all the difficult clients and, um, right. Really using your and, people skills and yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And so he was a great mentor to me because I learned a lot. It was his, his group was, it was him, his brother and his father, and they were called the fine team, fine property. And it was so cute because when they shot their photo, when I started working for them, they asked me to be in it. And I was like, oh, I get to be part of the fine property team. You know, it was like a big <laughs> deal, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so I had a good run with them. I worked a little over two years and in 2008, as we know, mm-hmm. the market took a, took a big dive and the first market to go was the second home market. Yeah. And so I was, that was it for me. I had no money. I had exhausted pretty much a lot of my resources. I'm in a small town. There wasn't much more to do to make pretty good money besides real estate. So, you know, I asked my my ex-husband at this point was living back in California. 
And I asked, it was right before the school year started in September. And I said, I think you're going to have to take the kids. I've got to figure out what I'm going to do with my life, Mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. And so I went and lived with my mother in Ocala, Florida with no money, no kids, just completely brought to my knees. I lost, I lost everything. Oh, wow. And really just had to start all over. And, you know, here I am in my 40s going, what happened? Mm. You know, I was on the top of my game with everything in my life. And and now I'm just like sitting in self-pity and like, poor me, what how'd this happen to me? And, you know, I had about two weeks where I just didn't want to get out of bed. And I just didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I didn't, I barely graduated high school. And that kept being my story. Like, I barely graduated high school. Like, how am I going to how am I going to survive, you know, if I'm not going to be acting or modeling? And, you know, I just, it's so interesting, the stories that we can tell ourselves that can prevent us, right, from Mm -hmm. moving forward. Yeah. And so my mom, I remember one day my mom would, she came in every morning basically and said, do you want breakfast? And I just shake my head. No, I was just mortified. You know, it's like, how did I end up back living with my mother you know, right. it's like, you can't write this. It's like a really bad soap opera. And then one morning she came and she said, Debbie, could you walk the dog? And I was like, okay, you know, all right. No energy in my body whatsoever. And I got up and I threw on whatever, a pair of sweats and t-shirt and walked the dog. I started feeling a little better. Got some fresh air, walking the dog. And my mother lived in a 55 and over community and I got to know all these people and their dogs and I knew their names and I knew the dogs' names and and we would meet at the meeting place, you know, the place where the dogs would meet, this mm. little park area. Mm-hmm. And and they would say things to me like, Oh, your mom must be so happy to have you here visiting. And I'm thinking, oh, if you only knew. <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> like I have I have I have no money. I'm, I'm on her, you know, but of course I was like, oh yeah, thank you. You know, fake it till you make it. Right. <laughs> and they were like, you know, we wish our kids would come visit. And then they would start telling me about their health issues. And mm. you know, all of a sudden my focus shift. And I was out of my head and I was taking an interest in these people that their kids didn't come visit. They had health issues, you know, and I started thinking, you know, it's not all about you, Deb. It's not all about you. You know, there are people that have serious issues here and, you know, and I felt really bad. And so, you know, I'd go every day and all of a sudden I had a little pep in my walk, you know, like all of a sudden now I'm, I'm walking a little faster and I got the dog and I'm like, come on, Heidi, let's go for a walk. And (laughs) I'd say hi to all the neighbors. All of a sudden I became the popular girl in the neighborhood saying hi to everybody. And, uh, what those people didn't know is they saved my life. Mm. You know, they really did. They saved my life because I was in such a dark place and had no, didn't know where my next check was going to come from, didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And I kind of isolated myself from everybody at this point, you know, I, except, you know, I talked to my kids regularly and, but I really started isolating myself because I just, I felt embarrassed, you know, I thought, mm. how did I, how what what am I going to tell people? Yeah, I'm living with my mom and I have no money. Nobody wants to hear that exciting news. So um, I got a call from a friend in New York and I went and spent the weekend in New York. And my friends really, really came through for me. I had a friend that said, look, I have an apartment here that you can stay for two months. Why don't you come and try to find work? You've always wanted to live in New York. Live there rent free for two months until you find a job. And if you don't, go back to Ocala. If not, then you'll start 
taking over the rent. And so what a gift, you know, yeah. so this beautiful friend offered me this place to stay for two months. And so I did, I took her up on it. And then I had another friend that said, I can introduce you to some people. And I met a gentleman who owned a print company and he said, well, if you can sell real estate, you can sell print. Hmm. And I said, well, give me a job, give me the job description. What is it that you want me to do? I said, cause I'm a hustler. You know, I said, I'm a go-getter tell me what you want me to do. And he basically told me the companies that he wanted to get in with. And I said, I think I can get you into all those companies. Mm. And he said, okay, well, let's, I'll make you a deal. If you can set up 10 meetings, I'll put you on a draw. And I said, what's a draw? And he said, a draw is money that's, that's going to go against the commissions that come in. So oh. it's like you're getting an advance, mm -hmm. but when a commission comes in, we take the draw out of the commission. And I said, I like that idea. I'm in, let's do it. He goes, set up the meetings. In four days, I had 10 meetings set up. Nice. And you know, all that is, is I didn't put my phone down until I had those meetings set up. Mm. And one of the meetings I got us into, and, and I, I remember he was like, I don't know how you did this, but he couldn't believe it. I got us in with Revlon. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, because I had a friend who was very friendly with Ron Perlman. And, you know, when you call for a favor, you know, and it's very rare that I would call for a favor. But when I did, they knew I was serious. And so I called and I said, if there's any way you can get me in with Mr. Perlman's assistant. And she did. She goes, I'll get you in, Deb. And he gave me 10 minutes. He brought me into his office. He Not even into his office. He brought me into a room with his assistant. He goes, you've got 10 minutes. And I said, I just want to get in with the, your head of procurement for the print department. He goes, done, set it up for her. And he walked out of the room. Oh, all right then. And so that's that's kind of how my experience with the print industry went. You know, I learned I learned a lot about print procurement and packaging. And I got us in with all the movie studios because of my entertainment background. And so I did really well with that, with that company. And he bought a company in Irvine. And when he bought that company, that was probably in August of 2010, mm -hmm. I said, hey, could I work out of that office? Because my kids were in Newport Beach and they were calling me every day, please come get us. You know, they wanted to be back living with me. And I said, I'm working on it. And so it was like a godsend. You know, mm -hmm. he bought this company and I said, can I work out of that office? And he said, you can. I really want you in New York. But if you want to move to Irvine, it's on your dime, meaning he wasn't going to pay for me to move to work right. out of that office. So I said, I'll pay. I'll move because I wanted to be closer to my kids. Mm -hmm. And I moved in August 2010 from New York back to California. And when I moved back, I thought, you know, I can make some extra money. And I called a friend of mine who was the number one life insurance broker in Los Angeles. And he had done my ex-husband and my insurance. And I'm always thinking of ways of how to make money, right? Because I've got three mm -hmm. kids and I, you know, and I'm really helping support them. And so I uh, called and he said, I said, Hey, if I refer you business, can I get a referral fee? Because now I know about draws. I know about referral right. fees. You know, I'm getting a little savvy now. Right. Now I understand, you know, don't do anything for free type thing. In the past, I would just refer, refer, refer. Right. And now I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore unless I'm getting cut in on the deal. And so he goes, Deborah, go get your license. So I spent my weekends. I'm now, you know, I'm working for the print company during the week. And on the weekends, I'm studying, studying, studying. And I went and took my license and got my life insurance and my life settlement license and started referring business. So when I kind of faded out of the print business, I started doing life insurance in July of 2011, full time. And in by the end of 2011, I was the number one life agent. I never put my phone down. I worked seven days a week. I 
everybody in my phone basically became my client. And I would reach out to people that I hadn't talked to in 20 years from the entertainment world. And I'd say, can we just meet for coffee? And we'd meet for coffee. And I, you know, it's funny because I would make the polo lounge in Beverly Hills. I, that mm-hmm. became my office. I would just sit in the booth there because <laughs> that's where all the, think about it. That's where all the, all the heavy hitters, that's where they're having lunch every day. And they'd walk by my booth and, hey, Deborah, how are you? I haven't seen you in years. And then they'd sit with me for five minutes. I tell them what I'm doing. I'd say, you know, I'd really appreciate if you could refer me business. And that's how I built my business. That's awesome. What would you say that your biggest challenge was in sort of building your career in the insurance industry? Just really getting people to switch over and do mm-hmm. their business with me and and take me seriously as a as business, you know, because a lot of the people that I called and I met with knew me as an actress and model. They knew me from those days. And so mm-hmm. I think if that was, if I had a hurdle, that was the hurdle. You know, learning about life insurance and learn, you know, sales is in my blood. So, you know, whenever I talk to people about sales and I've done a few on stage events with some salespeople and for small groups. And and I say to people, if if you, you know, and salespeople get this, right? If you get one sale, if you call 10 people and you get one sale, that's so great. And that's what people don't realize in sales, that it's 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 a numbers game. It's really, you know, I, I would call, I would stay on my phone and I called it, I'm dialing for dollars, mm-hmm. you know, and I would not hang up the phone until I got one person that said, okay, you can do an audit. You can audit my insurance. And then I termed the phrase, no means maybe. So when people would say no to me, I didn't take it personally. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think it was the end all. Mm. I'd say, okay, well, I'll check back with you. And they'd laugh, you know, they'd kind of (laughs) chuckle. And I'd say, no, I'm serious. I'm going to check back with you because things change. The industry changes. I said, does your life agent give you an update about what different carriers and different products are doing? And they were like, no. (laughs) And I said, well, I'll give you an update and I'll do it just out of the kindness of my heart. Mm -hmm. And I did it because I knew in the end they would switch and go with me because most life agents aren't doing that. They're not saying, hey, by the way, I know we put you in this product, but this other product just came across and I think we should move you into that product because I think we can save you 17% on your premium. Most life agents, once they write a policy, they're done with you. Right. They move on to the next. They move on to the next. Mm -hmm. And that's just not how we work. You know, we're, we have somebody in our office that full time, all they do is look at all the products that are available. And so that's the kind of, that's the difference. You know, we were adding much, a lot of value to our clients. And so, you know, I had a lot of success in 11, 12 and 13, 2011, 12 and 13. I had a lot of success. And you know, what that did for me is it, it made it, you know, great that I could travel and I could start giving back. I adopted a school in Peru, you know, just started finding ways to do philanthropic type stuff and, and mm-hmm. um, get involved and give back. And, yeah, you know, it's fun to make money and it's also fun to give back. And I thought, you know, there was a time in my life, as we know, that I had nothing. And so I never forget that. I never forget that year of my life because... I'm super grateful for that year because it taught me that that is going to happen at some point in your life. It could happen once, it could happen twice, but you are going to be brought to your knees in some way, shape or form. You know, I've talked to many people, you know, in the last five years, I've 
kind of just, it's kind of been this thing where I've asked a lot of people, have you ever had a time where you were brought to your knees? And they just look at me like, yeah, of course. You know, so it's not like my story is so unique, but I feel like, you know, sometimes people look at you when you're up and everything looks really good and it looks like you're doing really well and you're showing up and you're, you're, you're a success and they don't know really all the stuff that I did to get Mm -hmm. to that point, which was, you know, there were (laughs) a lot of things I had to give up, you know, and what mainly my kids, I had to give up my kids for a year of my life Mm -hmm. to go and find, you know, how to make money. Yeah. Do you feel like you have any like specific habits that helped you to make it to where you are to being the top 5% in your industry? I write everything down. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like longhand or do you use like apps or? No, I write. Hand, gotcha. hand write everything down. I'm I'm old school. I still have a big <laughs> day planner because I have to see mm. my week in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I have whiteboards with, with things. I have to have reminders. I make notes all day long. If I'm in a meeting, I have a yellow pad mm. because, and you know, I never know when somebody's going to say something that I'm like, oh, I love that. You know, and I get ideas all the time and I'm always learning and I'm always growing. I, I'm so far, I feel like my life is just getting started. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what my book is about. I have a book coming out at the end of summer and it's, you know, basically about being a late bloomer. I am a late bloomer and all my life lessons happened later in life. And, you know, I had lessons in my twenties in my high school years, but none that really stood out to me. I think, you know, in my forties, that was where like I just felt it. I felt mm. the shift. I felt the change. I was aware that something was happening. And I think at first it's really fearful. I think, you know, at first it was like, oh my God, you know, I was so living in that fear of it. But then now when I look back, I realize it was a shift. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're all going to go through that. It just means when you're going through those times that seem really dark, that's when something's going to change. That's when something's going to shift. And you never know what it is. If somebody would have told me 20 years ago, you are going to be in the top 5% of sales in life insurance. I would have, I would have what? You know, <laughs> right. I would have said, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, who would have thought? And you know what? For a girl who barely graduated high school, I didn't realize, you know, I'm smart. I'm really smart. And I I pick things up quick. Mm -hmm. And I have a little bit of a street smart, not a little bit, I have a lot of uh, street smart, like I get it, you know, and there's book smart and there's street smart. And I think in sales, the street smart has really, really benefited me in so many ways. Do you do you feel like you have any like specific like mentors or maybe even like specific books that have helped you to kind of find your way in being such a great salesperson? You know, it's interesting that when I look back, I, I have a lot of books that that I would say have really helped me. And I didn't know it at the time because I was just reading them because they were the book to read at the time, but I didn't know cut to 20 years later that they would be, oh wow, I read that book like think and grow mm-hmm. rich. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, of course, you know, Tony Robbins is a mentor. So I've read his, all of his stuff. And I've attended many of his seminars. His, I love his business mastery. Mm-hmm. 
if you have not, if you don't have a business degree and you want to be in business, all you have to do is attend his business mastery is like what you learn in seven days, they learn in four years in business school. And anybody will tell you that it's, you know, and so I've gone to that four times because I thought, I, this is good. I'm learning more and more each time I go and do this. And then of course I have mentors that I don't know well, but I, I watch what they do and I, I like their habits. You know, another habit is I get up in the morning and I start my day with meditation. Mm-hmm. I start my day with positive affirmations and thought. Your day starts off on the right foot when you do these simple things. You know, if I start off with yoga and and meditation, I guarantee my day is going to go a little bit more smoothly than if I just start off with a hustle. And I used to do that. Mm. I used to start out, go right to my computer, check all my emails, make sure everything, you know, because I want to make sure everything gets done and everyone's taken care of. And I realized that wasn't serving me, that I needed to give myself oxygen first and then go and serve people. And so, yeah, that's, you know, meditation in the morning is so good. Oh, even if it's 10 minutes, you know, it just clears my head. And I, I say, you know, today's going to be a great day. And I start off that way. And when you say, when you say that it's, it's the way it's going to (laughs) be, you know, there's no other choice. And even if things go wrong and they are going to go wrong, because I've already put it out there that it's going to be a great day. It's just not as bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I have that. And then I make sure to read something every day that's positive also. And this last probably six months, I have, you know, I I would start a book and I wouldn't finish it. Mm-hmm. Yep. I know the you feeling. Know, for, the last, <laughs> for the last three years, I have started over 30 books. Mm-hmm. And so the last six months, I have finished... I would say I have finished about eight books now so far. Mm-hmm. And I just, now that is that is a big goal of mine this year is to read a book, at least finish a book every two weeks, mm-hmm. if not every week. And so I made it easy for myself because I downloaded an app called Audible. And mm-hmm. so I can sit, so even like last night, I had a hard time after the earthquake, uh, this morning, I should say. And so I thought, okay, I can't go back to sleep. So I put on my book mm-hmm. and I just listened to my book. And so I think it's really, you know, first things first is getting the awareness to make any change. You have to have an awareness. Mm-hmm. And then for me, I write everything down and I keep it very simple because we don't need to complicate things. Things are already very complicated in the mm-hmm. world. Right. So if I can keep my space very simple, it really helps. You know, and I can work in a very small space. I don't need a lot of space. You know, I used to think I needed a big office and this and I don't. I don't need that. I keep it very simple now. Nice. And, you know, I think this last year has taught a lot of people in business that we don't need all this office space. And it's, I mean, on one hand, it's something to be really grateful for that we are doing business differently now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But on the other hand, you know, it's sad for me to see all these buildings for lease. And But it's, again, that's a shift. Right. Things are shifting and changing. Right. Exactly. And what, what advice would you give to other women who are interested in pursuing a career specifically in the insurance industry? Oh, my God. I would love it. <laughs> more women. You know, there's not a lot of women. Really? I uh, the, the last, um, I go to life, you know, some events, you know, where the all the carriers come together and they 
update us once a year. And there's all these different events that we can go to. And the last one I went to was in Austin, Texas. And I looked around the room and it was 80% men. Hmm. And by the way, 20% women, but a lot of those women were there. They were assistants and not a lot of women are in the life agent space. So I would love it. And I would say it's a great career. It's something that I think is going to be around for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's one of those it's one of those careers that, you know, people really do need it. And people ask me all the time, what do you do? And I say, well, I sell life insurance. But what I really do is I protect people from unexpected life events. Mm -hmm. And it just is a whole different conversation when you approach it like that. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Because then people go, wow, what, well, what do you mean? And I say, well, I use a little thing called life insurance and, and it doesn't have to be used just for in the event that someone dies and leaves their family, you know, it's also a wealth building tool and a tax-free vehicle. So there's so many great things. So yes, women get involved. I would love to see more women. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking there are so many women in the sort of the MLM, the multi-level marketing right now, you know, where they're selling like makeup or other products to other women. And I feel like they gain a lot of sales experience from that that they could, Boy, that, you know what I mean? Then That is a hustle. That multi-level <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> marketing. Can I just tell you, I have so much admiration for multi-level marketing sales because it's such a very few of them that really make it. Right. And they are hustlers. They're, that is a hustle, man. I Because I have people trying to sell me all the time and trying to get me under their, whatever they call it, the downline or whatever. Right. right. I'm just thinking they would be really great if they shifted to the insurance industry. Totally. Right? And and you mentioned your book. Can you tell us actually a little bit more about your book? So it's a memoir. It's oh, nice. my story because I've, I'm 57 years young this <laughs> mm-hmm. year. And so, you know, I have a lot of life experience that a lot, when I say a lot, not because of my age, but I've worn many hats, you know, from actress to flight attendant to reporter to spokesperson to an infomercial infomercial host to working in real estate. You know, I've worn all these mm-hmm. hats. So I've taken all the the ups and downs in my life and put it into a book and hopefully not not a way that shows like, oh my God, see, I was here and now I'm here, but it's more a fun, a fun journey of my life. You know, my childhood was a little crazy. I actually, another thing that really saved me was growing up, I was a figure skater and I learned a lot from my coaches. My coaches were, those were my mentors mm-hmm. growing up because they taught me how to get back up when you fall. And so that all did come back into play into my life. Those there is somewhere inside of me that had that. And I got that from ice skating. So I talk a lot about that, how I got into Playboy. And I just, I share my life with everybody. And, and of course, you know, I end it with the success that I'm having right now, but you know, my life's not over. And I think the reason I picked the title, I'm a late bloomer is because I feel like my life is really just getting started. Mm -hmm. You know, at 57, I feel like I'm really just getting going. And, you know, some people get it in their 20s, some get it in their 30s. I got it in my 50s. I feel like I woke up and got it like, okay. (laughs) It's like, really, you know, it's like, you know, when people are always trying to find their purpose, Mm -hmm. you can't find your purpose. Purpose just is. It's like trying to find happiness. Happiness just is, Mm. you know? Right. And so, and so I feel like that's kind of like this awareness that happens 
you know, you just, you become aware and you realize that it just, it, life is just so beautiful and it's, you know, it's all about giving back. And if my story helps one person, then I, then I did my job and it was yeah. well worth, it was well worth writing it and putting my heart and soul into it because anybody that's written a book knows it is not easy, <laughs> right. especially when you're writing about your life. Yeah. That's difficult. Yeah. There were so many times where I was like, oh, why am I doing this? Nobody cares. And then I just thought, Deborah, there might be one person out there, one person that you save their life, you know, because maybe they're going through something and they read your book and they relate. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm going to save, you know, we all save our own lives, but you know, if I can help somebody or serve in some way, then, then that's, that to me is golden. That's awesome. Where can we learn more about you and find your book? So right now I'm putting my journey on Instagram at Deborah Driggs. My journey will be posted there and in my bio will be my website. And on my website, you know, it'll have a, section about the book. And um, the goal is to have the book in my hands by the end of the summer. Oh, nice. Exciting. Yes. Very cool. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Deborah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's always an honor and a privilege to be asked to be a guest on a show. So I, I love it. And I thank you so much. I hope that you enjoyed the interview with Deborah. I knew that I enjoyed our conversation, and while listening to our chat again during the editing process, something that she said really jumped out at me during that second listen. And maybe it's because of kind of where I'm at right now with my author career and sort of learning to be better at marketing my own books and career services, but the thing that stood out to me was when Deborah said that if you can make 10 calls and get one sale, that that's a great thing. I think it's so easy to get stuck on those nine no's that we initially got instead of celebrating the one yes and acknowledging the win. It is so easy to brush that win aside and focus on the negative instead, on those no's, on our failures. And that kind of thinking can really drag us down and make us feel bad about our efforts. When really, it's more likely that what we're pitching just didn't resonate with that potential customer. Or maybe it was the way that we pitched it to that potential customer. And Deborah, she took it one step further and said that when people say no to her sales pitch, she actually views that no as a maybe rather than a hard no. And yes, while this might feel a little annoying on the customer's end, I can also truthfully say that I've occasionally changed my no to a yes as a customer when a salesperson made their second or third ask. Not because they were annoying and I said yes to make them go away, but because when they came back a second time, they made a much better pitch for their product or at least pitched their product or service in a way that resonated with me a little bit more than they did the first time. And then I said yes. And this applies to more than just sales. So Anytime you have to ask for something, whether it's a raise or that you want to go on a vacation from work or, you know, you're trying to get a business loan or to start working from home, let's say, you want to stop thinking about those no's as hard stops and instead think of them as maybes. If, like me, you've never worked in sales, it can be difficult to shift your way of thinking. I was always taught that no was a hard stop and I would always feel a little embarrassed actually at being told no. To really shift my thinking, I've started considering potential customers no as a comeback with a better pitch. With that shift in my thinking, I feel less embarrassed at that initial no and a lot more confident when I go back to ask that customer again, but this time with a different pitch that better resonates with what they need. 
So if you have already asked for a raise or a promotion or a business loan and you've been told no, give it a little time and then try asking again, but from a different angle. So I I also, by the way, feel that it's really important to stress that when I'm talking about this topic of no being a maybe, I only mean in the business world and not in general, especially when it comes to relationship and consent. In those cases, no is a hard stop. I just wanted to put that out there because I think there are some business sayings out there that sound okay in the business world, like no means maybe or silence is consent, which ugh, I hate that one, Um, but they're not applicable in other situations, right? All right, that is all I've got for today. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Join me in two weeks and help me celebrate episode 50. Maybe we'll do something fun. Until then, go find out. Thanks for listening to the show today. I hope you found the information beneficial and that it helps you tackle your own Go Find Out goals. You can find more episodes and the show transcripts at gofindoutpodcast.com. You can also let me know what you thought of the show by tweeting me at GFO Podcast or follow me on Instagram at GoFindOutPodcast. That's it for today. Now go find out.